your Locked On Canadiens, your daily podcast on the Montreal Canadiens, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and thank you for making Locked On Canadians your first listen of the day every day. We are free and available on all podcasting platforms. I am one of your hosts. I am Scott Matla, and I am joined, as always, by the incomparable active stick Laura Saba on this Thursday night. Laura, the Montreal Canadiens have won a hockey game legitimately. It was stupid. It was dumb. It was violent, and it was fun. Like all of those things are true, right? Yes, absolutely. This is actually, I, I said it in the lockdown now as well, that this was the chippiest, most exciting game we've seen, seen between these two teams in a long, long time. Usually it's a snooze fest. This was fun. Uh, there were a lot of things that happened. For example, Eric Goodbranson, like why, why, why is he allowed on this, on, on the, on the team like he just he went rampant all over the ice he was trying to decapitate everybody he almost successfully did uh brendan gallagher and then he just kept getting in everybody's face and finally he did get his pound of flesh and got a penalty for it but it was it was like it was really really chippy it was very violent i did not expect this from either team but at the on the other on the other end of it there's a lot of fast play and exciting uh, you know, zone possession or whatever you want to call it, zone time. Uh, it was an exciting game and I can't fault the Habs for what they did. They were playing a team that's much better than they are. That's had a red hot start with much better players with an excellent goalie. And they did all they could to pull out a win at the end. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is like the numbers don't fully reflect kind of, I think what this game looked like their five on five stats aren't anything great. Calgary is a very good five on five team. That is, the truth of the matter, this game was decided on the Canadians power play finally clicking and it clicked in a big way. They had two power play goals tonight. The first was Brendan Gallagher's where he snuck behind uh, Jacob Markstrom to finish off that shot from Chris Weidman off the post. And then he got decapitated and Nick Suzuki putting Erica Branson in a body bag and then faking out Jacob Markstrom and scoring what stood as the game winning goal. It, the power play clicked at the right time for this team. I think they're getting better at five on five. They're not quite there yet. They had a slow first period and then things just kind of got rolling when they got the momentum. Ben Sherratt scored his tied for the team lead fourth goal of the season. I thought Brendan Gallagher looked like himself for the first time in a while, but the numbers just aren't backing everything up and that's, and that's fine. It is what it is. You want to build good habits to get good results. And I think the Canadians are starting to do that now. We might see more of what this team looks like at its peak versus, you know, the disjointed mess we saw, what, a week ago, give or take. I, I'm i encouraged that I'm seeing a lot more good signs out of the Canadians as they play versus all the stuff that we saw at the beginning of the year. And this is a the thing. They're playing cohesively. They're connecting on a psychological level as well as on the ice, not just their passes. I really do think that, you know, at the beginning, it really hurt them that they didn't have chemistry. We talked so many times, you know, the first, I don't know, seven, eight games that they looked like a bunch of people who showed up that night who'd never seen each other before and were trying to play a game. 
And the Canadians since then, especially the forward core, I have to say, they've been working hard. They've been trying to play better together. That was what was lacking. It's not like all of them suddenly lost talent. It's that they were not playing well together. And that's something that is coming together really, really well in such a way that now when they do insert Michael Pizzetta, when they do insert Ryan Paling, it's not falling apart. It doesn't feel like a foreign element. It's still cohesive and they're getting the best out of everybody or almost everybody. And that's exactly it is everyone's pulling their weight. It doesn't feel like there's a lot of passengers, even when things kind of get bad. Like David Savard had a rough game against LA. I think it was any bounce back. I thought he was pretty good tonight. I thought Ben Sherratt looked strong. I thought Alexander Romano played another good high intensity game. Um, I, I suppose the biggest thing is we might as well get this out of the way. That was one of the dumbest officiating sequences I've ever seen in an NHL game. Yeah. It was so bad. I was, so I was watching it on RDS and at some point they were like, oh, are they throwing Tanev out of the game? And it was like, no, they sent him to the penalty box, but didn't actually award him a penalty and like told him to get back out. I like it didn't make any sense. And then the thing that really, really bothered me is that Brendan Gallagher drew, I don't know how many people to attack him. And then he was the one that went to the box. It was insane. It, it just wasn't him. No, so that was Michael Pizzetta who shoved Rasmus Anderson in the back, which, okay, he was the aggressor. And then he was promptly mugged by four members of the Flames. And somehow Michael Pizzetta is the only one who ended up with a penalty on the play, which I think is, hey, you're the AHL call-up, stop causing trouble kind of thing. But the biggest thing for me is that Chris Tanev and Chris Weidman we're punching each other and separated by the officials. And they looked at that and went, there's no penalties here. And I thought they threw someone out of the game, whether it be Chris Tanev as an instigator. So a two, five and 10 Erica Branson for what was a dangerous, gross hit. There's going to be a lot. There should be a lot of things that the DOPS should look at tomorrow. Uh, Could Branson running over Gallagher, probably Gallagher. It looked like he kicked him. Uh, and then maybe to Foley for cross-checking could Branson in the back. It was just, it was very stupid across the board. And I'm actually surprised it didn't spiral worse um, than that whole nonsensical series there. Honestly, there's this thing about trying to control the game. We keep talking about it. If you're going to try and control the game, like actually control the game, do not let it get out of hand. All they did in tonight's game was insert themselves into the story. That's literally all that happened. It's never good when you know the name of the officials calling the game. You never want to know because uh, that means they made themselves part of the storyline, like you said. And all I can say is to put a bow on this, uh, Nick Suzuki is good. Uh, the Habs were fun again. They go to Detroit on Saturday to see if they can complete the season sweep. Um, it'll be interesting. We will have so much more on that on Monday. And speaking of which, today is Friday. It is the mailbag. We got so many questions. We're actually going to be breaking this up. We're doing part one today, and we're going to carry some over to Monday after three up, three down. So if we didn't get to your question in this episode, trust us, we are getting to it in due time on Monday. But coming up next, it is the start of the Friday mailbag, and we can't wait, y'all. But first, if you've ever listened to the show, you know that we love a Built Bar, and Thanksgiving is coming up around the corner here. And if you ever want to find a new fun dessert, 
take some built bars stick them in the freezer for a nice cold chocolatey dessert they are covered entirely in real chocolate they are low calorie low carb low fat high protein and they have so many flavors for everybody if you got a family member who hasn't tried them yet and they like orange or raspberry they have that if you have if you like coconut or something sweeter like german chocolate they have that there is a flavor for everybody and there are limited time flavors arriving at built.com regularly so you're gonna want to keep an eye on their website black friday's around the corner and they have a huge thing coming up for that so keep your eyes peeled and if you go to built.com right now and use promo code locked 15 you're gonna get 15 percent off your order that's built.com and locked 15 for 15 percent off go check out built bar you're not going to be disappointed Thanks as always for making Locked On Canadians your first listen of the day every single day of the week. It is time for the Friday mailbag, everybody. And as always, if you want to tweet us your mailbag questions, you can tweet us at LO underscore Canadians or send us an email at LockedOnCanadians at gmail.com. Now, my wonderful host is asking the questions this week. Laura, what do we have from our listeners this time? So let's start with a question we got from Dan in the UK, uh, who sent the question in on Monday. Getting it in early was the subject line. My question, I know Ducharme signed a new deal, deal fairly recently, so there's little chance of the Habs making a coaching change despite the horrific start to the season. But if they were co- to consider replacing Ducharme, do you think the fact that the Montreal Canadiens would always want a French-speaking coach hinders finding a potential replacement, or is there a good pool of coaches around? Being in the UK, my knowledge is limited beyond what I can catch up on over here. So apologies if this sounds daft. Oh, I love British people. <laughs> but should it not be uh, a case of hiring the best coach out there that's available, or would the Habs always go for a French-speaking coach? And if that's the case, does that restrict them in terms of who's available and perhaps another reason Ducharme is safe for now? Love the show, guys. I listen to it every day, and you're one of my main resources for keeping up to date. That and Habs Eyes on the Prize. Scott, Habs Eyes on the Prize. <laughs> hey, that's me or us, <laughs> yes. not me. Definitely yes. not me. I just write things. Uh, all the other people make it look nice. Uh, in terms of coaching, it is tough. Luckily, the QMJHL is not short on talent. Uh, there, I we've talked about it so many times on this show that it feels like they are limiting themselves. But at the same time, I look at who's on the assistant staff at all levels, and I mean uh, Jean Francois, who is the head coach in Laval. And he came from the Armada as well. And I think, I can't remember the other team that he went to. It's slipping my mind right now. And then obviously you have Dominique Ducharme who coached in Halifax. And you have Alex Burroughs, who is, I believe, Quebecois, if I'm not mistaken. But then you have Trevor Latour. He is, he's from Pancour. Like, he's like, like right off the island. Oh, well, there we go. Uh, yeah. I know nothing of Montreal geography, so I'm taking Laura's word for <laughs> it. But then you have a guy like Kelly Buckberger and Trevor Latowski, who I do not believe are French Canadian. So you're starting to see that it doesn't have to be an entirely, I don't want to say not bilingual staff, because I'm sure they speak some French or other language because of their time in other leagues, but it is limiting. But I do think the Canadians are allowing themselves more freedom in that regard to kind of get the best candidates in here right now, at least as far as I can tell. I'm I'm hoping it'll change soon, but Laura and I have talked about it so much and that there is a lot of uh, layers to this that it doesn't make it a simple yes or no answer, unfortunately. 
Right. And I think that the one thing that, cause I don't want to rehash it all over and again, but the one thing that people like need to remember, especially since we are an English language podcast. So we go out there to outside of just Montreal. So a lot of our listeners are fans like that are, you know, from very, from different places, all of whom speak English, obviously who are listening to us, but like, Montreal, the Montreal Canadians are in a province with eight and a half million people, most of whom are Anglophones, even Montreal, the island that is considered to be the most bilingual uh, and diverse island or the most uh, the city that's that's considered is still overwhelmingly French. So you cannot have a head coach that doesn't speak the language. However, the fact that the head coach has to be French Canadian, maybe that's something that they need to kind of uh, play around with, because if it's a, if it's honestly, if it's a head coach, that's good, that has good results and makes an effort to, to speak French, it will be appreciated. Even if the French is broken, you know, like for me, French is my third language and I, I speak it. I don't sound like a native speaker when I speak it. And people still appreciate the effort that I'm putting in because it's something that I learned. And I think that's definitely you know, that's definitely a route that they should go is that if there is a coach that is available then and has like a base of French or is willing to learn French in the off season or something like that, that effort will go a long way. But I don't think that there's going to be a time as long as the Montreal Canadians are in this province and overwhelmingly the market is this province uh, that they wouldn't consider a head, spoke, a head coach who doesn't speak French at all. And honestly, it could be a deterrent for some coaches. They don't want to bother with that. But you know, nobody's asking for a treatise in French. They just want you to be able to answer questions to the media, kind of like Paul Byron does. So that's going to be, that's, that's my soapbox. And I'm going to ask the next question because I know we're running out of time. Um, but again, this is part one of the mailbag. We are spilling over into Monday this time as well. So we've got a question from somebody who's written us before. Uh, and that is Mike B. And uh, Mike says, Dear Lauren Scott, I love your podcast. I listen to it every morning. Oh, thank you so much. Here's my question. I've been a Montreal Canadiens fan all of my life. Through the good times and the bad, the one thing that was consistent was the Canadians are a class organization. Recently, the class organization quality has become tarnished, in my opinion. Just today, I was listening to the podcast Canadians Connection episode 163. I haven't checked it out yet, but I will. In this episode, they discussed a season ticket holder who had been one of the one of two owners of season tickets for the last 100 years. So I'm guessing it's it was passed down. Because of COVID, they have young children who are too young for the vaccine. This family, concerned for their safety, asked if they could put their season tickets on hold until next year. This year's tickets would go to the public, and their request was denied because, according to the email response, the government has determined it is safe to be in large gatherings. This, coupled with the drafting of Logan Mayu, has made me question this team management and ownership. Could I get your thoughts, please? I think there there is not a team in the NHL who would not do the exact same thing. That doesn't make it right that this is what they did. But every team is about getting people through the door and getting as much money as they can out of it, especially after the COVID. I agree that it, it looks really bad and it's not something that you want to see your team as a part of. But I don't think there's a team in the NHL who would say, yeah, we'll not take the money this year right now when we're trying to recover from a global pandemic that cost us millions of dollars and it's gross and it's yucky. But at the end of the day, unfortunately sports ends up being 
a business and that means things like this happen probably more than we'll ever know right now. I don't love it. I don't think it looks good. I think it's a really easy PR thing for the Canadians to go, yeah, we can do that and get some good news in their favor. But unfortunately, that's not always the case. Right. And you know what the thing that really bothers me about this is that they could have put the season tickets on hold and sold those seats to the public on a nightly basis for a higher markup. But because I think I think if the Canadians were still selling out, they would have done it if they knew that they were going to sell out. But knowing that they don't have a full arena and it's going to be hard to get people to pay for this ticket for these tickets, they decided to go this route. I, I honestly, truly feel like if the Canadians were still a hot ticket, they would do it. I mean, I went to a game, but I don't have small unvaccinated children at home. And, you know, I went to multiple games and I didn't fear for my safety. But what did I do after those? I went to three games in one week. And then I stayed home for two weeks and did not see anybody because I did not want to infect other people. But people who have vulnerable, immunocompromised or unvaccinated children who are not yet eligible to be vaccinated at home, like it's not fair. It's not fair. I have many friends that are refraining from activities because of that. And the Canadians could easily have just accommodated them. And you're right that every team in the league would have done the same thing, but a team that sells tickets, like I truly would have, I truly thought that this would have been, you know, they would have been able to mark up those, those tickets for one year and just sell them to a different person every night. And it just, they just didn't do it and they could have, and the Logan Mayu thing as well. But the one thing that I will say though, is that we need to be vocal about this kind of thing because it does seem like Jeff Molson is sensitive to public perception. So we should be talking about how this is classless. I think it's fine. You know, I, I understand that it's a business. I understand that's how it works. But I do think that, you know, we should talk about how it's classless and it's unlike the Canadians organization. I mean, it's embarrassing for them to behave in this way. Personally, that's what I think. Um, and Scott, do we have time for Twitter questions or shall we wait until the next segment? We're going to have to head into the next segment there. And folks, we have so many questions. Like we said, we're spilling this over into Monday's episode as well. So be sure to keep your ears peeled for that. And we're going to get back to the rest of the Twitter questions in one moment. We're back and better than ever. A new web interface for the start of basketball season and more props, odds, lines than ever before. Bet Online remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. Head to our new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use promo code LOCKED ON, all caps, to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. We are back with the final batch of the first batch of Twitter. There's a lot of questions. <laughs> I don't know how to phrase this, but we have more coming Monday. And as always, if you want to send us your mailbag questions at LO underscore Canadians on Twitter or locked on Canadians at gmail.com. Laura, what else do we have in the mailbag for today's show? So before we delve into the mailbag, I do need to give my 
food wreck of the week. Uh, I had been saving it for Friday because I assumed somebody would ask me a food question, but I'll just randomly drop it in the middle of the week from now on. And today's category, and, and for anybody who's listening to this for the first time or who missed last Friday's episode, once a week, I'm doing a Montreal food wreck for if you're planning to come into town for the draft or if you're planning to come visit in the summer, uh, you know, Montreal food wreck. Let's go with that. And this week's category is late night eats. Uh, and it's very close to the Bell Center. So on Peel Street below St. Catherine, there's a place called Shawarma's. So it's Shawarma, but with a Z at the end. And I, as a Lebanese person, like a one, and I grew up in the Middle East, I can 100% vouch for their shawarma. It's really hard to find good shawarma outside of the Middle East. And I've heard that Ottawa has good, but in Montreal, it was kind of a struggle to find it until the last few years. And shawarmas is tops on my list because it is very close to the Bell Center. So anybody who's staying downtown or hanging out downtown uh, can go grab some. Also, uh, it's literally just delicious. And I don't think that this is the case in the dead of winter. You might want to check. But however, when the weather's decent and everybody's going out and having fun and after games, they are open until like 3 a.m. in the morning. So I think that they're a good late night eat. I They open one in Laval that my family went to and the line was an hour long. That's how good they are. And everybody in the line was Middle Eastern. So you will know. Uh, so go for, go for shawarmas. There's one in Laval, but there's one downtown as well. That's your late night eat. And that's your food wreck of this week on Montreal on Locked On Canadians. And now we'll move on to actual uh, mailbag questions. Kevin asks us, I live on the other side of the continent and this team causes me stress and anxiety. What's it like to live right within it or at least closer? Is the market as high pressure and intense for all involved as it's made out to be? So Scott, you can answer that from your perspective and I'll answer that as a Montrealer. Uh... It's tough because the Sabres got fan expectations up here. So I, there um, really hasn't been too much chatter about the Habs. I'm excited to see what it looks like now that the border is open. But living here, it feels like there's more discussion, but it's too far away to really have that finger on the pulse. You know, like if I were to cross over into Ontario, I'm sure it would be different. But here right now, it's such a mix of fans of so many different teams that I I don't really feel it too much here, but I'm sure it's very different, obviously, with Laura living uh, in Montreal as it is right now. So I know Kevin attended the game against the Ducks a couple weeks ago, so I don't, I'm not sure if you live full time in, in California or not, but in Montreal, especially in winter, the Canadians are one of the only things that's going on. It gets dark early. It's cold. We don't go outside. What we have to look forward to is hockey games. And you can sense in the city when the team is not doing well, you can sense it. There's something missing. There's something lacking. A couple of years ago, I wrote an article about this for Habs Eyes and the Prize, actually. Uh, the Canadians were bad. This was before the pandemic. They were bad. And I used to, when I used to go home, I, I get on one of the metro stations that's close to the Bell Center uh, from my workplace to come home. I would see the metro filled with Habs jerseys, everybody getting excited, either getting off at that stop or the next one to go to the Bell Center to the game. And then when the Habs are bad, you don't see that. People aren't as excited. People still go to games, but a lot of times it's not fans. It's just people who got their tickets through work or, you know, things like that. And so 
you can tell like there is a feeling in the city when the Canadians are doing well and when they lose interest, you can see it. And then, you know, even and in Montreal is a city where the Habs are so dominant that even if you're not a hockey fan or a sports fan, you know what's going on with them because they also dominate news headlines as well. So you kind of know what's going on. So the feeling in the city really changes. And right now, last year, the feeling in the city with the with the playoffs, it like it really lifted everybody's moods. So now it's been OK so far, but we're getting into the cold months. So I don't know how it's going to be be uh when when we get back into the colder months especially since things are open now so it's not like everybody's shut in at home but it's still winter's coming so i don't know i'm very curious to see what it's like but it's definitely definitely true that the mood in the city you can sense it you can sense how the canadians are doing from the mood in the city i'm i'm gonna trust you on that one (laughs) so Uh, yeah, you don't live here year round. You only come when the weather's nice. Actually, that's not true. You came in the winter. Once. I've literally only been there in the winter. I have never been in Montreal <laughs> where the weather is nice. The last time I was there, there was like six inches of ice on the ground. It was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully when you come for the draft, uh, it'll be better. Here's a question that is tailored for you, Scott. This is Randy Hansen asking us, I believe that Paling is finally ready to stay in the NHL. Can you see him not being ready? If not, what is missing from his game this season? Well, based on the way he played against Calgary, he looked great. I mean, he had a, he drew a penalty. Uh, Michael Pizzetta drew a penalty. The fourth line, which I made fun of earlier in the day, played surprisingly well, minimal minutes. And I'd like to see Paling get a bigger chunk of those because I think he's still very, very useful. I think a lot of it is he needs to contribute in the odd goal or two here or there. I'm not asking him to score 20, 25 goals, but if he can contribute 10, 12 goals a season, maybe I think he's going to be, he'll be a good one to stick there. Just be responsible, play, you know, a hard physical game. I think if Ryan Palin continues to play like he did against Calgary, he's not going back down to the rocket unless there's absolutely nothing else they can do. I think he's going to make this team keep him. And honestly, the team didn't miss Cedric Paquette tonight. I, I don't feel bad saying that. Ryan Paling, and I was with hopefully no offense to Pizzetta and Belzeal here, a, a little bit more uh, offensively inclined wingers, potentially maybe an Adam Brooks in the future. We're, we're cooking with gas here with that fourth line. I think Paling's going to be just fine if he plays like he did tonight. I agree. And you weren't the first person to mention that maybe with him doing well, um, we don't have to see Pocket for a while, which I'm all for, uh, you know, and and this is just it was an ideal situation for him. And we talked about this, I think, in our last mailbag um, where he needs to have a situation where the pressure is not on him. There's a bunch of call ups and he's just there because there's a body that's needed. And then and he gets to perform without having to have that mental block of trying to earn his spot. And exactly that happened. And it worked out. So I'm happy for him. And I, I hope he sticks around. Next question from Randy. What is the most encouraging aspect of the season for you? Right now, Nick Suzuki. I, I I don't think either of us would disagree. Nick Suzuki's on friggin' fire right now, man. <laughs> Holy crap. Is someone in the top six minutes comments went, he's already playing up to his future cap hit. And oh, yeah. I, I can't disagree with that. Nick Suzuki is on one right now. And I I can't help but be so excited for what it's going to look like when Caulfield is back up full time and Suzuki ages a little bit more and matures his game even further. It's Nick Suzuki, man. Just my God. (laughs) (laughs) 
so as not to steal yours, I read The Athletic did a Q&A with Cole Caulfield, uh, Marc-Antoine Godin, uh, one of the best. And uh, what I got from that article, obviously I read it to see what Cole Caulfield was doing. But what a thing that's encouraging is um, the coach in Laval. We were very, very worried with the loss of Joel Bouchard, that the coaching would not be development minded, but all of what was in that Q and a, all of the quotes from Cole Caulfield, um, as well as uh, some of the quotes that, uh, that Godin alluded to from the coach, uh, it seems like they are oriented towards successful development of players. That was a concern. Obviously, you know, we're saying Laval's good, Laval's doing well, and it, it is partly a continuation of last season. But the fact that there's a system and the fact that there's an idea and the way that they're handling Cole Caulfield, for example, is the coach like identified, you know, timing is one of his biggest issues. And, um, you know, that's why we're giving him as much ice time as possible. There's some talk about putting him on the bumper spot in the, in the, on the power play or whatever. Uh, but at the same time, just like the things that you're hearing from what they're trying to do is at least the mindset is about, about development. So that is in addition to Nick Suzuki, that is the most encouraging thing that I'm seeing from this season. And that's exactly it. Uh, we got time for one more question, Laura. Uh, so Jeff the Red asks us, what do you most look forward to currently on game days, if anything? Oh, man. Uh, I can't believe I'm saying this considering how much I kind of railed against the call-up. I, I can't wait to see what nonsense Michael Pozzetta gets into at this point. I want him to score an NHL goal so badly because as much as he's been, he's taken penalties in the last two games, he's played physically, he's played with effort, he's played with heart. He's played like you want in that fourth line role. I want him to get rewarded for that. He and Alex Belzio both, they don't have an NHL goal to their name. Belzio was a journeyman in the minor leagues for a while and Pozzetta still kind of growing either of them getting a goal at this point i think would really uh would really actually make my life both of them have earned that at the very least i i'm inclined to agree with you but my personal one honestly um is again in addition to nick suzuki because you know since since he's gotten his game back together after that anaheim game he's really just he's exactly what we expected um the thing that i look most forward to is watching jake evans play um, and Josh Anderson. And I'll tell you why, because the way that they play, even though they're not necessarily scoring goals, it's beautiful to watch Jake Evans, just with using his intelligence. Cause he doesn't have the hands. We talked about that. Uh, you know, we reverse jinxed him, but just the sheer will that he has the effort that he puts in and the intelligence that he uses, he plays smart and he never takes a shift off. He literally does not do it. He does not take a shift off. That's amazing. And Josh Anderson, I just love watching him do anything. He skates barreling up the ice, getting in people's faces. Tonight, there were multiple instances when he was really hard to uh, separate from the puck. You know, even when he's not scoring, what he does is interesting and fun to watch. So those are the two things that I look forward to night in and night out. And, you know, we talked about how Josh Anderson had a bad game last game. Turned out he had a virus or, or something. <laughs> we think it was gas station sushi again. <laughs> but uh, whatever it was, you know, like he, he had a rough game because he was not feeling he was literally not feeling well. But otherwise, like these two guys, they put in so much effort um, and it, it's nice to watch on the ice. It's beautiful to see. Yeah. Uh, and as we said, folks, um, 
We will have the rest of the mailbag on Monday, as many questions we can get to after three up, three down. Please just tweet us at LO underscore Canadians. You can follow us there as well. You can find Laura at The Active Stick and myself at Scott Matla. And now that you're done with this show, please tune into Lockdown Bets, where it's your daily one-stop shop and a podcast for all your sports betting needs, hosted by your boy Q and insight from Lee Sterling.